the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. Can you believe another week has gone by? It seems like I wake up on Monday and then it's Friday. And the older I get, the faster it comes. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know by now, The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions Pretty much anything and everything that's on your heart, I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can send your questions to us via email. By emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app, and you will be safer that way using the hands-free feature of your phone. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. This weekend, of course, um, we start a whole new month. It'll be Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I know that will also be the case for a lot of you and in the churches that you attend, so uh, go and participate in the Lord's table. Um, find opportunities. Ask the Lord to give you opportunities to share uh, with others, to uh, comfort others, to encourage others. And this will be a really, really good weekend. Let's go right to the telephones and talk with Henry on line one. Henry in, from San Antonio, thanks for calling. You're on the air. <laughs> Yes, I just had a question. Uh, you know, like in Matthew, where they're talking about the genealogy of Jesus and everything, and since Jesus is deity, I was wondering, like, how come they line him up with David and his family and the, the, the line of David? Uh, okay, David was uh, from the tribe of Judah. Jesus, of course, was from the tribe of Judah. And because of that, uh, David was promised a throne that would last forever. Jesus will be the one who sits on that throne, inheriting it. Uh, and he is the one that was being spoken of when David was promised the throne forever. So that's why it's important. Jesus had to come from Judah. And because he was a lion of the tribe of Judah, because David was from Judah, uh, he is his ancestor. You know, one of the favorite um, titles for David, or for, for Jesus, rather, was the son of David. He was the son of man. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, that's his favorite um, title for himself. But he also refers to himself as the son of David. And uh, the Jews were looking for a, a Christ, the Messiah, Henry, who was from David's line. Um, they assumed that when he came, he would take over just like David did and uh, restore the national sovereignty to Israel and free them from Roman rule. And David was that warrior king who gave Israel the greatest victories they ever had in their history. Um, but this was pointing to a son of David. And by that, I don't mean a direct son, as you know, but 
but somebody from the lineage of David who would sit on that throne. All of the promises God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to David are all going to be fulfilled completely in Christ when he comes. Now, the son of David came the first time. He came to his own, and his own received him not. So when he comes the second time, they'll have no choice, because that's when he comes, he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he will establish the throne of his earthly ancestor, his father David, uh, forever and ever and ever, and he will rule and reign uh, unchallenged for the rest of eternity. Good question, Henry. Thank you very, very much. I think sometimes we forget, especially we Gentiles, we forget Jesus' ministry was entirely Jewish. He was here to fulfill um, the, the, the prophecies given to Jews. Uh, he was their Christ, their Messiah. And uh, his first trip to earth, his first, his first trip to earth was um, to, to come to be rejected by his own people. So thanks, and I appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app. This one is from Caleb. He says, how much and when should we fast? Caleb, um, you know, the fasting that you see in the New Testament uh, was, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament was fasting. And Jesus, of course, his dispensation part of the Old Testament um, was was always tied with prayer and fasting. It was to seek the Lord. As New Testament Christians, we don't have to fast. Now, we can. Uh, I think we should fast. If we're really, really seeking an answer from the Lord, I think if we um, um, want to demonstrate that, that uh, the denial of our flesh, that's what fasting is, um, uh, we can do that um, um simply acknowledging I'm, I, I can say no to my flesh. I can say no to my own desires. And of course, when we do that, then Jesus is going to hear our prayers. But I don't think we should ever approach fasting as a, how much or how or when do we have to fast. I think it's always a, a something that we do as led by the Holy Spirit. You know, Isaiah chapter 58, Caleb, is the... Um, authoritative passage of scripture on fasting in the Bible. And it talks about not the outward fast. We can deprive ourselves of food. You know, the Pharisees fasted and the Pharisees went without water for time. And the Pharisees would, 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 would try to highlight the fact, oh, we're spiritual, we're fasting. And Jesus said, don't fast like them. When you fast, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, just do it between you and the Lord. And I think, Caleb, this is one of those things where we have to really and truly be led by the Lord individually. Uh, personally, I'm not much of a faster. Um, I, I, I want to get up every day. I want to remind myself of the need to deny my flesh. I want to be in the will of God. I want to talk to the Lord. I want to hear from the Lord. And um, I haven't found a situation that's come up in my life that... I really needed to fast to try to move the hand of God. Uh, I, I've been really, really comfortable. Um, and I don't mean this in any kind of boast. I'm not trying to sound self-righteous. But I've been really, really comfortable knowing that when God needs to speak to me, he will. Uh, I want to hear from him every day. But the truth is, uh, apart from his word, I don't hear from him every day. There are other days when he'll speak so clearly to my heart, apart from his word, but always consistent with what's written in his word. And there are times if God wants to warn me about something or prepare me for something that's coming up, uh, he'll make sure I understand what he's trying to communicate to me. And I've never found the need uh, to, to fast to, to, to do that. So, Caleb, it's, it's a, a personal thing. It's a thing that's got to be led by the Spirit. And I will say this, that if our motive for fasting is to get God to do something for us, or to get God to speak to us um, um, because we need to know something. Well, those are motives that that God won't honor. When we fast, it's it's an act of worship, it's a sacrifice, and we do it to share in the fellowship of His sufferings. And we do it temporarily. There's all kinds of fasts: food fasts. Uh, Paul talks about uh, a sex fast. 
uh, between a husband and a wife, only to seek answers from the Lord. Uh, so um, just just check your heart, make sure your motives are right, and let the Lord lead. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to fast, or when you have to fast, or what that fast looks like. Good question, Caleb. I've had a fasting question for some time now. Here's a question from Jack. He says, Pastor Ron, who's your favorite Bible teacher? Jack, I get this question maybe a couple times a year, and I never really know how to answer it. I, I, I sort of prefer some of the older guys, and by older I mean uh, people that have been walking with the Lord for 40, 50 years, um, um, much more so than, than, than my contemporaries. Um, but uh, I, I like, uh, I'll give an example, I like Erwin Lutzer out of uh, Moody Bible Church. Um, um, he doesn't teach like I would teach. He doesn't teach verse by verse. But he's a wonderful Bible teacher, and he's really, really gifted. Uh, I like his his style of teaching. He he ministers to me. Another one who, who has always blessed me is Erwin uh, uh, Lutzer, still with us, of course. But um, um, uh, Adrian Rogers, um, out of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, he's probably my all-time favorite preacher. Um, I guess it's just a combination of his voice, his style. Uh, doctrinally, he and I are very synced. I I really, really, really enjoy him, and his radio program uh, still is is uh, available, uh, and you can listen to his teachings online. Um, another guy that I like, uh, a great deal is uh, Alistair Begg, even though Alistair Begg is a Calvinist, and I'm certainly I'm not going to be convinced that that's right. I, I just like his style of communication. I like his straightforwardness. So my favorite Bible teachers are the are the guys that that don't try to make a show of it. They're not trying to be cool. They're just up there with the Bible open and teaching the word. Um, I think those are really really important. So those are my favorite Bible teachers right now. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll get somebody else. Uh, let me tell you, I like a guy that follows this program on, on KSLR. Um, um, Randy Draper out of uh, Maranatha Bible Church. Um, when when we leave here, uh, Paula picks me up usually, or, or when she's here, we'll put him right on the radio. Just because I like him. I like Render because he's so straightforward. He's very direct. I mean, there's no question about the message that the people they're hearing. And and we could not be more dissimilar. But I like him very much. And then I'll give you one other one that, that I think Jack is, uh, again, he's very close to me doctrinally. Uh, I know him. We're not friends or anything, but but we know one another. Um, but uh, that's uh, Dr. David Jeremiah uh, out of uh, San Diego area in California. Uh, I think he is a really, really good Bible teacher. And um, uh, I, I'm always blessed. I've got a few friends at Calvary Chapel who are good Bible teachers, but you probably wouldn't know their names. So, Jack, thanks for asking. I hope that uh, answers your question. I had a question uh, the other day from somebody. He said, do you, do you listen to yourself on the radio? My answer is no, I don't. Um, I, I sometimes don't sleep so well. And uh, so I, I put a earplug in my ear if I wake up in the middle of the night. And I'm on the radio a lot, so every once in a while, one of my Bible studies will come on when I'm when I'm trying to get back to sleep. And I found the only thing my Bible studies are good for putting me back to sleep. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but no, I don't listen to myself. Um, it just feels awkward. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Hank. Is John Lennox's ministry a good one? Um, John Lennox's ministry, Hank, is a smart one. He is a brilliant, brilliant man. And yes, his ministry is not only to be recommended, uh, but uh, you will enjoy anything and everything that he does. He debates people. Now, I'm not a debater. You've heard me say that over and over on this program. Um, but he will debate with atheists. Uh, he is a brilliant mathematician. Math is his background. And you wouldn't think that that would make a preacher, but he is absolutely brilliant. Uh, he's part of Ravi Zacharias' team out of Atlanta. Uh, but John 
uh, Linux has a ministry um, um, before and and separate from Ravi as well. But he's in that group of people that are just really, really smart. They spend a lot of time on university campuses. Uh, and, and I think they are doing a great, great work for the Lord. I mean, they're going into the lion's den. They they meet with some of the the, the, the harshest critics and skeptics you can imagine on a college campus. Uh, but yes, his ministry is good. It is highly recommended. Uh, and I occasionally listen to him myself. I don't have a lot of time for listening to people. Um, if I had to choose between him and Ravi, I would listen to Ravi. But uh, John Lennox is great, and and you can tune in all you want. Good question. Here is an anonymous call oh, before the anonymous question. I'm safe. I don't want this next question, but I got it. So let me go to a phone call first. Jerry from San Antonio on line two. Jerry, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Jerry, you there? Oh, Jerry, I guess we lost you. Uh, Jerry, nobody's on the line right now, so you can call back. I guess I've got to go back to my the question I wanted to avoid. Uh, Pastor, do you think President Trump is a real Christian? My friends believe he's chosen by God for this particular time. Uh, anonymous, it's not to me to judge somebody's salvation. I am unaware of any profession of faith that Donald Trump has made. I know there are some evangelical, politically zealous pastors who claim that he made a, uh, a prayer asking Jesus into his heart um, um, during the election process. Uh, you know, it's one of those things I think he probably, if he did it, he probably did it to get their endorsement. Um, but but I can say this, there's, there's no evidence of any Christian fruit that comes from President Trump. He is certainly not God's anointed man for the time. He's not. Now, we are to honor him, we're to pray for him. Uh, I'm glad he won, based on the other possibility in the last election. Um, but um, to, to, to Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Uh, the, the the Christian, the, the born-again believer, is somebody who's who, who, who manifests the Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, especially the, the fruit of love. And uh, we don't see any of that coming from President Trump, none whatsoever. Uh, he is loose with the truth. Uh, he can at times be vulgar. Um, he seems at times to uh, sabotage his own ministry. Uh, all that to say, he's a man who really needs our prayers. And we should pray for all of our presidents and all of our elected leaders. Um, but, but uh, you know, because he's a Republican, uh, Anonymous, there are going to be some people who think that, uh, well, he's got to be born again. You know, he represents our values. Uh, he doesn't represent my values. And I'm, I'm grateful that he's pro-life, that he's anti-abortion. I really am. That's a good thing. I'm grateful that we have stopped, or at least I shouldn't say stopped, we've stemmed the tide of immorality um, that was characterized by our last president and the administration. Um, um, I, I really believe that, that had Hillary Clinton won and we had four more years of unbridled immorality, um, gay marriage, um, all this transgender insanity that's going on in this world, uh, I think our, our nation probably would never have recovered from it. So I'm grateful that, that, that he won the election, but to say that he's God's chosen man for this particular time is, I think, uh, a complete misunderstanding of the character and nature of God. You know, there are times in history where God has chosen people and used them and called them his servant, his anointed. It doesn't mean they belong to him. It simply means that... God used them to bring judgment on the nation. And if Donald Trump is God's man for this particular time, then I think that is a message of judgment for the world that we live in, for our nation in particular. I'm glad that he is a staunch supporter of Israel. I'm glad that he allowed the Jewish capital to be moved to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. I'm glad of all those things. Again, 
uh, in terms of policies, he's certainly closer to us than the other side is. And given the choices that we have for the next election, at least the choices that it appears we have right now, more than a year out, um, I hope he wins again. Um, but, but, you know, a president doesn't have to be a believer. And if Donald Trump's a believer, he's doing a really, really good job of hiding it. Remember this, Anonymous, you will know them by their fruit. On a related note, uh, I just did a Bible study a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah 45. And this is a tragedy, but there are evangelicals who believe that Donald Trump is Cyrus and his mission is the same as Cyrus. Cyrus happens in Isaiah chapter 45, Cyrus the Great. Um, Donald Trump is our 45th president. There are evangelicals who are, are marketing coins with Cyrus's and Donald Trump's images together. Um, he is not God's chosen man for this particular time. Uh, if he was, he would rightly represent the Lord. And uh, this is a man who doesn't behave at all like he knows the Lord. So um, I'm glad he won. Yes, I'm glad he won based on the choice that we had. But we Christians, we need to be unwilling to overlook his faults and his failures just because he's a Republican. Because he represents more of what we believe to be okay, to be true. Um, we need to call him out when he's unkind. We need to call him out when he doesn't tell the truth. And unfortunately, we don't do it. We sound like big hypocrites. You know, we talk about gay community in churches and we sort of have a tendency to condemn them. But we've got a president who's every bit as sexually immoral in his life as anybody who's living a gay lifestyle. So I think we've got to be honest. I know that's going to make some people angry. But remember who we are. We are Christians. Jesus is the one that we represent. We've got about four minutes left in this side of the program. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Jerry, if you want to call back, the line is open. Here's a question from Alex. He says, how can I respond to a Lutheran who keeps telling me that all of our work is finished in Christ and we don't have to do anything at all, including serving? You know, I understand the Lutheran position, um, Alex. Um, you know, they go to a church and somebody says, yeah, but you got to do this, you got to do this. Well, well, they misunderstand. We're not saying you've got to do those things to get saved. We're saying that when you are saved, you're going to respond to the grace of God by using the gifts God has given you. Serving is one of those things. I agree with the Lutheran that our work is finished in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 says exactly the same thing. I also agree with them in that we don't have to do anything at all, including serving. But I would amend that to say that we get to do everything for the Lord, including and especially serving. And I think too often, and it's one of the reasons that Lutheran churches are so dead, they're small, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of life. You've got a bunch of people sitting around going and partaking of the, they think, the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's their communion with God. That's their fellowship with God. And then they go out and typically they don't think anything more about him for the rest of the week. The problem is they don't teach the Bible. It's always the gospel. Lutheran churches are always proclaiming the gospel, teaching gospel messages. And that's great, except if they're really Lutherans, if they're really saved, then they've got to be taught how to respond to the gospel. And especially as you get through the epistles of Paul, not just Paul, but especially Paul, He'll give you the gospel. He'll tell you the stories that, that are true. But then he'll tell you how to apply those truths in your life. And serving is just one of them. Giving is another. Being available to the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. So Lutherans are saved, Alex. 
but to use Christ finished the work and now we rest in him as an excuse not to change diminishes the whole process of sanctification. You know, I don't have to do anything but by drawing near to Jesus every day. I have the privilege of doing so many wonderful things with him, not not apart from him, but doing those things with him. And I think sometimes this kind of a message is a message that simply allows us to be spiritually lazy Christians. And I've never seen a spiritually lazy Christian who's full of the Holy Spirit and is actively serving in the kingdom of God. So that's the best I can do. Just tell him that you don't have to do anything, but you get to do everything. Not out of compulsion, not to get saved, but out of gratitude because you are saved. Alex, thanks for the question. We've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program our final 30 minutes 340-9585 let me start with a question from our email inbox uh, by heavy hearted you know it's going to be tough pastor ron when i sin especially if I sin badly and I've repented wholeheartedly to God, truly ashamed of what I've done and willing to turn away from it. How do I deal with the weight of shame and embarrassment that often comes upon me after I've prayed for forgiveness? I know intellectually that I've been forgiven by God's love and grace, but that knowledge doesn't always lift me from the shame I feel. The weight of what I've done sometimes sits on me for days after it almost paralyzes me spiritually. So instead of feeling elated at the fact I've been forgiven, where I can move on serving the Lord, the regret and weight of what I have done still holds me down. It holds my joy captive. What should I do? I do not want the enemy to triumph over my weakened state. Heavy-hearted, you have just expressed the heart of thousands and thousands of people just listening to this program. This is something that we always have to do. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer a couple of the different areas in there in your email, but at the same time I want to preface it that that it, it all has to be under the umbrella of faith. This is one of those things where we have to believe in our heart that we are forgiven. You know it intellectually, but I always say you don't know anything just because you know it in your mind. It needs to get that fourteen or eighteen inches down into your heart. So remember faith. That's where I'll start and that's where I'll close. Um, the first thing is God uses conviction of the Spirit to draw us closer to Him. That way we can say, I'm sorry, God, I, I'm sorry. And at the same time, we have to remember that Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So heavy-hearted, what's happening is if you're still feeling under that, that, that burden of guilt, you've got to realize that's an enemy who is triumphing because of your weakened state. And in fact, he's trying to take advantage of your increasingly weakened state. I hope that makes sense to you. Here's the thing. The devil wants to get you to be paralyzed. You use that word. Because if you're, if you're sitting still, if you're not really obeying the Lord, if you're not uh, serving him, 
your life isn't demonstrating joy, your witness is compromised, Satan wins. And so you have to understand that the attack comes from him. Guilt is from the devil. Conviction is from the Lord. Conviction draws you to Jesus, where in his presence is the fullness of joy. Guilt draws you away from Jesus, feeling kind of crummy. Now, here's the thing you've got to realize. Because you know intellectually, you know what the Word says, you know you're forgiven, you know that you can be in the presence of the Lord and start serving, then what you need to understand is that it is faithless to remain under the conviction of sin. Now, make no mistake, I think it's good that you feel really terrible when you sin. And the purpose of that is that we would think about how we're going to feel the next time before we make that decision to sin. And we would count the cost and we would say, no, I'm not going to give in this time. Lord, I need your help. And then prevention would be that we run to him before we sin instead of after. However, we also have to remember, verse nine says, that we have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. And when you remain laboring under the conviction uh, of, of the Holy Spirit, when you allow the guilt coming from the enemy to, to keep you frozen where you are, you're basically saying, God, I know what your word says, but I don't believe it. Remember, this is faith. It's very important. How we feel has to be replaced by what we know. And putting what we know into action is what faith for living is all about. So heavy-hearted, keep hating your sin. But realize that if you feel guilty and condemned, you feel terrible about yourself, the enemy is having a victory. He's keeping you from being obedient to the Lord now. He's keeping you away from the presence of the Lord now, and he's going to make you feel even worse. So it's just a matter of identifying the source of the guilt. It's the enemy of your soul. His job is to kill, to steal, to destroy. And if you understand that, then, and only then, we'll be able to really enjoy the fact that you've been forgiven. Um, one, one final thing I'll say, heavy-hearted. Uh, ask God to, to give you the gift of forgiveness, being forgiven, the faith to forgive. That's something I realized a long time ago. I read, uh, like everybody, I struggled, you know, but I keep doing bad things, Lord. And this was um, a, a lot of years ago, before I was a pastor. I wrote Romans 3.24 one day, just reading it. I said, we have been justified freely. When did that happen? It happened on the cross at Calvary. When was that? It was 2,000 years ago. And it just made sense to me, heavy-hearted, to understand that if I was forgiven 2,000 years ago, why am I dealing with unforgiveness now? Why am I harder on me than Jesus is harder on me? The conviction's important. Hating your sin's important. You clearly do. I think it's time for you to start enjoying the fact that you really do really do repent of your sins. There's freedom there. Let's go to Converse and talk with Jesse on line one. Jesse, thanks for holding. You're on the air. How are you doing, Pastor Ron? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, listen, I, I don't have so much uh, a question, but I just I wanted to call you, sir. I know earlier this week you had mentioned that, you know, before you came to the Lord, you were, you were you know, overweight. And um, when, uh, you know, when he, when he saved you, you know, you, you got to a point where you started, you know, kind of walking and talking with the Lord. And uh, I, I just needed to call you this 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 whole past week here. I've been doing that during my lunch hour. Uh, I've been been walking and, and talking with the Lord, and I just I just wanted to tell you, you know, it, it's been a blessing to me. Um, <laughs> you know, not only just exercising, but but more so just talking to the Lord and and just knowing He's there, you know, and He listens and and I hear mm-hmm. from Him. So um, again, uh, started Monday, and I, I I just needed to call you today, sir, and just thank you. Uh, it's it's truly been oh. a blessing, and uh, you and, and your wife are, 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 are a tremendous blessing. So again, for what it's whatever it's worth, <laughs> sir, I, I just thank you. Um, I, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So uh, again, thank, thank you, you, Jesse. 
God bless you. That did encourage me a great deal. And you know what else it means, Jesse? I'm going to be praying for you starting now. I'm going to be praying for you because just spending the time out away from phones and distractions with the Lord, your mind will wander. That's okay. He understands our weakness, but that will be the most beneficial and fruitful thing that you have ever done in your life. Uh, I, I told you I was overweight. I was obese. I mean, I was morbidly obese. And, um, and and God used even that to teach me to walk with him. I've been doing it now for more than 28 years. And, um, and weather permitting, I mean, I don't go out when it's freezing cold or I don't go out when it's pouring rain. Or, but but, but uh, probably 90 plus percent of my life, uh, I'm out in the street with Jesus. We've walked so many miles together and it is the best thing, the best part of my life my time with the Lord. Jesse, I'm going to be praying for you. Thank you very, very much. It means a lot. Let's go now to Teresa from San Antonio online too. Teresa, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Long time no Hi, speak Teresa. to you. Yeah, I'm I miss you. you. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Have you? I'm glad that you and your wife are doing well and everything's okay. Thank you. All right. I was just calling because I, I I started because I've been um, um, you know part, uh, having that we've been studying um, Bible study and all that in a little group in the apartment complex Good. where I live. And anyway, yesterday uh, there was um, a little discussion about the Fer- the Pharisees and the mm-hmm. Sadducees, and someone and I was wondering. Why it is that the, they were so against the, of Jesus, the Lord's Son, because all he wanted to do was to teach, to show, I mean, for the people to know about his father and about all that he had to give, you know? And mm-hmm. so they were always, they were always uh, planning against him and plotting against him. Anyway, I'll, I'll hang up and listen on the radio. Thank you. Thank you very. Thank you, Teresa. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, couple of, and it is good to hear from you. It's been a while. Um, a couple of things: the, the 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 Pharisees and the Sadducees hated one another. They couldn't get along with one another. Uh, the only time they were in agreement was in their agreement to oppose Jesus. And the reason Teresa that they opposed Jesus was because Jesus came. He wasn't what they expected him to be. I always think of that day, we call it Triumphal Entry Sunday or Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode in, and when they discovered that the that, 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 that Christ, he came at exactly the right time, he fulfilled every prophecy, and and when they found out it was him, they were, I think, afraid it was going to be him, but when it was him, they were disappointed, because he didn't meet their standards. They wanted a God that they could relate to religiously. In other words, a God that they could do religious things for, religious observances toward. But but in their day-to-day, minute-by-minute life, they could do whatever they wanted. And the, the leaders, especially the Sadducees and the Pharisees, um, they didn't want a God who was going to change the way they lived. Now, that's not unlike the people that live today. We want a God that lets us sin. We want a God that lets us do what we want. Um, but, but when you come to God, we come on his terms. So the, the, they were always plotting his murder. As soon as his ministry became public, they were plotting his mur- murder uh, because he wasn't who they wanted him to be. They tried to make God in their image instead of understanding that they were made in the image of God, even though they're... Old Testament told them that we were made in his image. A couple of things, Teresa, about the differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, the Pharisees um, were sort of the Bible teachers, the Bible experts of the day. Uh, they believed um, in, in Old Testament miracles. They believed in the resurrection from the dead, not Jesus' resurrection, but that but there would be an afterlife. Um, um, the Sadducees, on the other hand, did not believe in the miraculous. They claimed only the first five books of the Bible as authoritative. 
uh, it's interesting to me that they can read Genesis and Exodus and, and then say, well, we don't believe in miracles, but they didn't believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in life after death. So they were just miserable human beings. What they, that meant is they lived for now. And we know that both Pharisees and Sadducees were corrupted by wealth, wealth that was made on the backs of the poor. We know that they were misrepresenting God when Jesus came to set them straight. That's why they were so opposed to him. You and I look at the Bible, and I'm going to be teaching um, not this Wednesday night, but the following Wednesday, starting in Isaiah chapter 50, when we get through these suffering servant passages of Scripture, I don't how anybody could say no to Jesus. And yet they, they always did, and they always have. So they just didn't want a God who told them what to do. They wanted a God who would let them do what they wanted to do, the way they wanted to do it. A God who then would be appeased by their religious observances. Teresa, thanks for the question. Again, good to hear from you. Appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Tim wants to know, how can I know if I'm called to be a pastor by God or if it's just something I want? Tim, I think both those things can be true. Uh, when, when I first told some friends of mine uh, that I was called to be a pastor, I remember I'm only a Christian six months. And one of the ladies looked at me and she said, well, I just don't believe you're called by God. And I said, why? And she said, because every pastor I've ever talked to went into the pastorate screaming and kicking and didn't want to go. And you're too eager. And I told her, her name was Sally. I said, Sally, I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm honored that he called me to do this. And she said, well, I just don't believe you're called. Um, so I, I think both of those things can be true. Um, if you are called by God to be a pastor, Tim, I'm going to give you a couple of, of measuring sticks. Uh, what's your relationship with the Word of God? Uh, if you're called by God to be a pastor, that means you're going to be a Bible teacher. That means you've got to love, 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 love God's Word. You should be devouring it. If you're, if you're spiritually lazy and you're not digging into the Word, uh, probably it's not something you're called to do. And that hunger that comes from the Word is just supernatural. It comes from the Lord. When I got saved, I couldn't get enough of it. And so that's the first measuring state. What's your relationship with the Bible? The second one, and this might even be a little more important, is how do you relate to the people God loves? I had a friend one time who told me, I'm called to be a pastor, I know, but do you have to like people to be a pastor? And I said, you got to love them. You got to love him. By the way, he never fulfilled that calling because he just couldn't deal with people. And you got to love people. You got to want everybody in heaven. You got to be available to him. You have to be a servant. So, how do you respond to the people of God? Let me go one step further, Tim. How do you represent Jesus in your own home if you're married and have kids? Do they see a dad that they wouldn't resent preaching from the pulpit because his life at home is consistent with what he teaches at church? You see, those are important questions. You've got to love the people of God. You've got to love the people of God. And if those two things fit then I would just remember that it's a noble thing to seek the office of a bishop or overseer. That's referring to what we call a pastor. It's a good thing, so pursue it with all of your heart. Tim, 28 years ago, I was called to be a pastor. I've been doing it for the last 24 and a half years. The, the years prior to that were getting ready to be a pastor. Um... And Jesus has given me the greatest life imaginable. I can't imagine having missed out on what I've been able to be a part of. So go for it. But remember, if you're not really into the Word, if you're not crazy about people, you need to repent before God and get busy. God now wants you to partner with Him in this calling. 
He'll provide all the power, but you've got to do the work too. So I think those are the my answers anyway to how you would know if you were called. And by the way, Tim and anybody else out there who feels a calling to be a Bible teacher, uh, if you're called to be a Bible teacher, if you're anointed by God to do that, then there's going to be people who will come and listen to you teach. There's going to be people get saved. Um, you, you should be teaching your family daily. Why? Because you're called to be a teacher. Teachers need to teach. You should be serving in church, teaching ministries, teaching kids, teaching different groups. But, but be available. I can tell you this. Anybody who's really called by God to be a pastor is called to lose his own life. Now, God cannot give God. He'll bless you abundantly. But your life isn't your own. You're like a doctor. You're on call 24 hours a day. If you're a pastor, your heart is always going to be broken. Always. And yet there's going to be great joy at the same time. I know that doesn't make sense. You're going to see the worst of people and the best of people. You have to be prepared for both. But if you think being a pastor is just getting up and speaking and having people listen to you, then you have no idea what a pastor really is or what a pastor does. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's another anonymous question. Yesterday, we had a question that was from obviously anonymous. This one should be obviously anonymous as well. Um, He or she says, is it permissible for a man and wife to agree to bring others into their bed? And I'm assuming what you're talking about is sexual experimentation, and if the husband and the wife agree, it's got to be okay. Anonymous, the answer is no, 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 a thousand times no. You know what I love the most? My, My wife is very, very modest. She's humble. I know sometimes she doesn't sound humble because she's funny, but she is. But if we're at home, she'll say things like, oh, no, this is just for you, referring to her body. Nobody else gets to see this, only you. I like that. Hebrews says to keep the marriage bed pure, undefiled. And you're defiling the marriage bed, just thinking about bringing another person into it to satisfy your sexual lust. Pornography does the same thing. It defiles the marriage bed. Unhealthy fantasy lives defile the marriage bed. So no, it would be sin. It would be a horrible, horrible sin. Not only for you, but it would be you lying to the wife that you said you would love, honor, and cherish. You promised God that you would love her above all others. And you would just be saying to her, you're not worth it to me. What I want sexually is more important than my promise to God to care for you. So no, not ever, ever. I haven't had that question before in the program. Here is a question from Concerned Mom. This will probably be the last one. How am I doing on time? A little under four minutes. Um, uh, Concerned Mom says, My husband and I are praying about spanking for discipline. Is it okay? And what guidelines would we use? Uh, yes, yeah, spanking is okay. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of opinion here just based on experience. Uh, the Word says that we can spank. It's that simple. Um But what we want to be sure to do is never spank out of anger. We should never spank raising our voice. The minute we do that, we're misrepresenting God, and we are being mean. Um, Discipline is training, and spanking works. Let me also say this. I think there's uh, an age where spanking ceases to be effective. I, I, I can't imagine turning a teenager over your knees and spanking him or spanking her. I mean, by the time they get to be teenagers, they should have already been trained. But little ones, a a loving, 
not too hard swat with a paddle is a good thing. They need to know that there's consequences for their actions. The consequences follow immediately the, the bad decisions that they make. And as you're doing that, and let me tell you what we do here at our school, because our school spanks. Um, when a little child has been repeatedly disobedient, we'll bring him into the office. We have a female spanker and a male spanker. First responsibility, we call the parent. They've agreed to come, if at all possible, and administer the spanking in front of us. But in those times when we have to do it, our principal will look at them and say, do I look like I'm angry with you? Do I sound angry? Do you know why you're here? Do you know that we've told you if you did this repeatedly that you would be spanked? And they would, they, you know, they are honest. They, yeah, I know, I know. They still don't want the spanking, but they understand. But we do that in love. Our principal always hugs them when they're done getting a spanking. It's not beating them or anything, but it's a spanking. Um, I grew up with a mom who spanked, and she always spanked me in anger. I made her angry a lot. Um, th- that's never okay. It's never, ever, ever okay. But you and your husband perfectly agree to do it. Make sure it's consistent. Make sure that your son or your daughter knows that what they've done is wrong. They should never be surprised by a spanking. And make sure that you never, ever raise your voice at them in anger. Not ever. Make sure you never spank them in anger because that's when the line is crossed into being cruel. So concerned, Mom, I hope that helps. If that didn't answer your question, you want more specifics, why don't you write me again. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Go to church on Sunday. If your church is taking communion, enjoy being the guest of honor at the table of the Lord. In the meantime, find somebody that you can minister to. Have a happy Labor Day. We won't be live on Monday. The station is closed. We'll be back live on Tuesday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.